Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we explore the production, reception, and history of your favorite games. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today, I am getting bit by a radioactive spider. I'm going to don an iconic suit and go rooftop to rooftop because we are covering Marvel Spider-Man. Yes, we are. Now, to go back to that image... I'm picturing you more of the Danny DeVito Spider-Man uh, and Always Sunny than... I will take that as a compliment. <laughs> Thank you very much. 100% right there. Wasn't he Man-Spider? Man-Spider was. <laughs> but yeah, we're covering Marvel's Spider-Man. And this is really the one that got me into liking the web-slinging friend from Marvel. Yeah, because you had said you were never really much of a Spider-Man fan. I'm not. The two things that have brought me over were Enter the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. so Miles Morales' Spider-Man, as well as this game that came out originally with the PS4, or yes. on the PS4, I should say. And it really brought me back in, because I remember playing the early Spider-Mans 1 and 2, the, the, basically the Tobey Maguire ones, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. They were fun. They brought up a, a cool idea in them, but it just never, never clicked with me mm-hmm. until we finally got here. Yeah, because I think this is like essentially his greatest hits of, okay, we have a good story to back this up. We have good gameplay to back Mm -hmm. this up. We have a great studio to back this up. And every so often we're going to get a new superhero game Mm -hmm. that sets itself apart because Spider-Man had had Dozens of games before this, and only almost even dozens of actors at this point as well. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, we're that's... going through what at least three. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and so you know, this is that title that has now stuck out. Essentially, there's only been two other ones. You had that Spider-Man for Nintendo 64 and PS1. Mm-hmm. Then you had Spider-Man 2, you know, the Tobey Maguire yep. Spider-Man that not perfected, but really elevated the web-slinging. Yes, and so yes, now yes. this game is taking the best of everything, and Insomniac really delivered. They gave us a great game. Absolutely. I, and they, they needed to. I mean, you already have Tom Holland, who I think they have now kind of fit the bill as, like, mm-hmm. the Spider-Man. So Marvel's riding, you know, high on that. You had, uh, as I've said, Enter the Spider-Verse come out with multi-dimensional Spider-Man, as well mm-hmm. as introducing Miles Morales to set up the game, I guess, in a way. It's just really, really cool. We're, we're in the age of the spider, 
And I cannot wait to dive deep into this. Well, especially, yeah, because within a year we had Spider-Man Homecoming, this game, and Into the Spider-Verse all come out. And we'll Mm -hmm. even dive about that in the marketing. They had to kind of find their own footing within this kind of marketing conundrum of all these different titles coming out. Precisely. How do you find a way to stand out but still tell a story that has been retold basically, you know, three times last 20 years. Well, that's the interesting thing about this game is that Insomniac, they could make Peter Parker a janitor if they wanted. They didn't have to, to follow any movie or comic book timeline previous to this. I'm glad that they didn't, though. But <laughs> let's go in and let's talk about Marvel's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So Marvel's Spider-Man is an action-adventure game developed by Insomniac Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. It was released on September 7th, 2018 for the PlayStation 4. You play as the iconic web slinger as he tries to balance having a normal life with being a superhero. After the long-awaited arrest of crime lord Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin, a new gang called the Inner Demons fills the power vacuum, led by the mysterious Mr. Negative. Spider-Man must uncover the identity of Mr. Negative as well as discover the secret behind something called Devil's Breath. All while still trying to deal with Peter Parker's everyday issues, you know, paying rent, and sorting out his relationship with longtime love interest, Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so really it's, again, a setting up a story that we haven't really heard before. No, it's taking elements we're familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Fisk and the story behind him and Spider-Man and mm-hmm. kind of being... Some I don't want to say the main villain, but one that, that, that's returning. It's mm-hmm. kind of like Joker, Batman. You kind of always have this power vacuum that goes back and forth with it. Yes, yes. So now you're creating this new narrative with it, but also bringing up you know familiars such as Mary Jane, you know Aunt May. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know all of his friends are coming back. Uh, it's it's an interesting story that, like you said, they built around an idea, but rolled with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really Insomniac Games. Yeah, as you said, rolled with it, and let's. Let's talk about Insomniac Games and how they got started. Mm -hmm. Insomniac Games was founded by Ted Price in 1994. Price wanted to work in the video game industry since the release of the 1977 Atari 2600 when he was only nine years old. Alex Hastings joined Price in mid-1994 as a programmer with his brother, Brian Hastings, joining soon after. And I believe, I think Alex and Ted were actually knew each other from university. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a little bit about that, and so he kind of touched base and was like, you're like a program whiz. Want to come work with me? Want to come program for me? And he said yes. <laughs> for a short amount of time, the company was named Extreme Software, but was forced to change after a legal issue stemming from another company with the same name. Sounds about right. Sounds about about like every 90s company ever. Say, every 90s company, and especially 90s gaming companies. <laughs> The company considered The Resistance Incorporated, Ragnarok, Black Sun Software, Ice Nine, and Moon Turtle before settling with the title Insomniac Games. Be right back. I'm going to register all those. <laughs> I want, I wish they were called Moon Turtle, actually. Moon Turtle is good. I like Ice Nine. Ice. <laughs> You're either an Assassin's Guild or you make sweet video games. <laughs> The first project Insomniac Games developed was a quote-unquote Doom clone, first-person shooter created for the Panasonic 3DO due to its inexpensive dev kit. Again, we're going to hearken on this in all of our episodes. Yes, the PlayStation 1 and 2 were great, but it was so expensive and so hard to find a dev kit Mm -hmm. that people just went elsewhere. We're we're just going to go with this no-name console, essentially. Yeah, Panasonic, a household name. In gaming consoles. They do TVs (laughs) and now consoles. 
After one month of development period, the game was pitched to executive producer Mark Kearney from Universal Interactive Studios, who was impressed with the work. Universal would publish the game as well as help with the funding and marketing. After a failed launch, however, Universal suggested the team release through Sony PlayStation to sell more copies. A month of work later, the game debuted under the title Disruptor in November of 1996. Around this time, a younger audience took Sony by storm, so Insomniac sought to create a family-friendly game. Two years later, in 1998, Spyro the Dragon was released with critical acclaim and over 2 million copies sold. Yeah, because it's, again, going from this Panasonic dev kit to being like, that thing sucked. Like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do a plan. Let's get to the PS1. Let's get over there. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, for a lot of these studios, it's it's that weird fairy tale story of it just, just happened that they made their way over. This kind of family friendly or you know younger crowd is getting into gaming now, so mm-hmm. we can start to develop these things. And within that time, took some of the ideas that they already had conceptualized, brought it into Spyro, and really hit the ground running from there, and, and produced some insane works. Well, you got to think, you know, the the generation before had really all their mascots made uh, 2D and pixels. Mm-hmm. So now we have this new age of these new 3D mascots that can come about, and it was the perfect timing for Insomniac. Mm-hmm. Universal would request a sequel for the game and eventually a third installment. Game director Brian Allegier would join during the development of Spyro, Year of the Dragon, in 2000. Following this third Spyro game, the company would move away from Universal to work solely with Sony. The transition would see between 20 and 25 employees making their way over as well. Yeah, so, so they wanted to bring that, that their, their core team with them, and it made sense. I mean, they're producing a lot of amazing works, bringing this team over to mm-hmm. Sony to kind of just, just fit right in. Yeah. Fit, fit in that pocket that needed to be filled and just start producing for Sony. And that's yeah. exactly what they did. Because with the release of the PlayStation 2 in 2000, it allowed a new world of opportunities for Insomniac. They would plan to release a new game called Ratchet & Clank alongside the PlayStation 2, but unfortunately, it would be delayed until November of 2002, releasing with critical success. Insomniac would additionally release Going Commando and Up Your Arsenal <laughs> as Ratchet & Clank follow-up games, with Up Your Arsenal being the highest-rated game in the franchise's history. They would additionally release Ratchet deadlocked in 2005 when the playstation 3 was being developed kearney wanted to go back to insomniac's roots and develop a mature first person shooter that shooter would become resistance fall of man and would be a launch title for the playstation 3 in 2006 and i remember that game and resistance has got some sequels from that as well mm-hmm. um and it was it was an interesting take that that took their their ideas with insomniac brought it to that shooter world and I think blended in, but also stood out from the Call of Duties and the mm-hmm. battlefields that were around. It, it, it created a different experience. Nothing yeah. that nothing that achieved that that peakness of it. It stood out nonetheless. It, it did. It's it stood out nonetheless. With resistance sequels in mind, as I had said, Insomniac created a second studio of twenty-five to thirty developers to focus solely on the Ratchet and Clank franchise in North Carolina in two thousand and eight. They would create the Ratchet and Clank future series that includes Tool of Destruction. Quest for Booty, A Crack in Time, and others. And in 2010, Insomniac would partner with EA to develop a multi-platform game called Fuse, which would be a commercial failure, unfortunately. With Insomniac's morale at an all-time low, they looked to create another hit title. The result would be Sunset Overdrive, released on the company's 20th anniversary in 2014 for the Xbox One. 
Yeah, and it kind of makes sense seeing Sunset Overdrive and how it does eventually that the success of that game transferring over to the start of development of Marvel Spider-Man. It does, because that game gives you a lot of free running. You can feel a bit of the inspiration from it or taking in ideas that they had from Sunset Mm -hmm. and bring over to Spider-Man because they just did so well with just exploring the environment in Sunset and creating a game that, you know, it did did good. Mm -hmm. I would say that. It, It did good. But we're now getting to, I would say, like, their hit title... And what we truly believe is like, you know, their game of, I'd say this era, this decade, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is their stamp on their proverbial passport to making even better titles. Absolutely. And let's let's talk about making this title, you know, this not not a breakout title for them, but at least for this next kind of generation, mm-hmm. you know, kind of on the end of the PS4's lifespan. Now, after the release of Sunset Overdrive, director of project management Brian Intahar read a review about the game in which it states that the studio would be a great developer for a future Spider-Man title. He would then send that quote around the office. Intahar even sent the quote to Sony to show them that there was a demand for it. It would not be long before Intahar found himself as the creative director of this fabled Spider-Man game. It's, it's so this is a life lesson for you kids out there. Take the chance. You know, you know, just just try it. Just just send off that email and be like, "Hey, it looks like people want this. Can I do it?" Yeah, even if even if one review out there says that, that's all it took for him to go, "Guys, there's a demand for it." Yeah. So so don't be afraid to try. This is Alex's mm-hmm. life lessons to this podcast. <laughs> don't be afraid to fail and try um, cuz you never know if you're going to make Spider-Man. <laughs> Not so later on, Sony's VP of product development, Connie Booth, was visiting Insomniac Studios and would ask CEO Ted Price how he would feel about working on a Marvel game. Price did not know what to think about this since the studio had not really worked on anyone else's IP before. He would ask some of the people at the studio how they felt and they were all on board with it, considering they were all huge Marvel fans. Price would then tell Booth that they were open to the project, but he was curious as to why they were being considered. The answer was pretty simple. Marvel wanted to see Insomniac's take on one of their characters. Nothing based on a movie or an existing storyline in the comics. Which is such a blessing and a curse. Because if you think about it, it's, okay, I can make my own story about it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Then it, then the dread sets in, I have to make my own story about it. Mm-hmm. This is going to be somewhat canonical. I need to do it right. Yes, absolutely. Especially... Yeah, as you said, blessing curse. It's it's your freedom from this thing, and now you have the chains of of doubt, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you're going against some comic greats who've mm-hmm. been writing Spider-Man forever, as yes. well as the movies and other mediums. You know, you have to make sure that your story stands out, but doesn't stray too far from the source material, mm-hmm. and doesn't upset fans. It's a very thin line to work with. Absolutely. Marvel told them to pick any character they wanted to use to create a game. It did not take long for the studio to put Spider-Man at the top of their list, as they most identified with him, and he was the most popular superheroes in the world, essentially. But Insomniac cannot reveal what other heroes were considered. Yeah, because I know they went back and forth, because obviously Spider-Man was you know, a top dog on it, mm-hmm. but yeah, they can't say who was else, because here's the thing, possible future titles, mm-hmm. also knowing Marvel wants to put as something out, you know, for a different character. You can't yeah. just reveal that. Yeah, because I've dug around and I've seen Intahar say, Spider-Man was the only one we ever considered. And then, well, we had a list, you know, yeah. so it kind of depends on what you're reading or listening to. It's, it's going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. 
With Spider-Man as their main protagonist, they needed to begin work on their largest game at the time. The research began with hundreds of comics they needed to read through, with heavy influence from Ultimate Spider-Man series, which carried a fresh take on the Spidey universe. Great series, by the way. I think it's the first one I ever read when I was a teenager. It's good, and you can definitely you can definitely feel it mm-hmm. in the game. And and from day one, Insomniac wanted their Spider-Man game to be a game of the year contender. One of the first decisions made regarding the game was putting a white spider on Spider-Man's suit. They knew with this, they would have their own iconic Spider-Man that is instantly recognizable. From there, they would have to look at what makes a Spider-Man suit a Spider-Man suit. They would keep the recognizable red and blue colors and iconic web design so that they would not confuse anyone who was not a hardcore fan of the superhero. So they wanted to make sure that Mm -hmm. if you just saw it in passing, you go, that's Spider-Man. That's like the Spider-Man. Yeah, they didn't want to do anything crazy where it's like this yellow and black Spider-Man. You know, it needed to look like Spider-Man at a one-second glance. Yeah, you you needed it. I mean, obviously, uh, the the game does give you more costumes to work with later in the Mm -hmm. line. But as far as your poster child, you needed that. You needed to differentiate it. Because we're seeing, especially with Enter the Spider-Verse come out, and having Gwen and having Miles and having Peter in their own suits, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make sure that you're still staying true to the, again, for the, you know, layperson fans, if you want to call it that, this is the Spider-Man. Absolutely. The studio thought to themselves, what would a 23-year-old Spider-Man use as inspiration when he's designing his suit? The answer, athletic gear. Basing the design off of popular athleisure outfits and changing those red boots up to be Puma-style athletic shoes. So more of a streamlined, mm-hmm. older character. Because this is an older Peter. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is an older character. So how has he adapted the suit to be better for him? Blue sections of the suit are for flexibility, while red sections are a thicker material that acts as light armor. And the white on the suit is made from a flexible carbon fiber, completing the total look. I love that they actually put this much logic behind mm-hmm. it because like the white is also like on his knuckles and his hands as well. They didn't just say, okay, these are just different colors. They said, okay, where the uh, the lightest sections are, that's where he's going to need to be more flexible around his joints. Like and, it's and awesome. It, and it's so smart. It's actually thinking of the suit and its purpose as mm-hmm. not just an aesthetic design because he's a Spider-Man. Yes. It's, it's using that purposefulness. And I would love to think of it in lore as – Okay, I've grown up with this. I've seen what my suits have done. I've seen what I've built with these. How have, how am I able to improve them? Yes. You know, because in this one, as in some other storylines, he works in the scientific community. Yes. And so it changes it up. So it kind of changes that knowledge base of like, oh, he probably has this knowledge base. And he mm-hmm. probably understands what this is and why he needs to do that. Yes. And when it came time to designing the anatomy of Spider-Man himself, they looked at the more skinny version of the hero from some of the popular comics. But... Overall, his look just didn't fit for this game. Yeah. The team also tried a more linebacker, kind of big, bulky look, but it was just too big. So finally, settled on more of a professional fighter's body, so mm-hmm. more of just kind of that lean cut but muscly. Just a little thick. Just a little thick. Good, good kind of thick. little thick boy. <laughs> it's really interesting as well. I loved their logic going into creating this character as well as mm-hmm. creating the story itself. Now, creative director Brian Intihar would look at the first Iron Man movie that came out in 2008 as a major source of inspiration for the game. It told a humanistic story from the perspective of a superhero. They needed their superhero game to reflect that. Insomniac would work closely with both Marvel and Sony to learn as much as they could about Spider-Man. In doing so, the creative team learned how to create a character that would reflect the iconic superhero. 
working with comic book writers Dan Slott and Christos Gage, with Spider-Man being Slott's favorite character in all of literature. They would decide from there to skip over Spider-Man's already well-known backstory, his coming-of-age story, and instead introduce a second coming-of-age. So smart. This is what needed to be done, because otherwise you're just another Spider-Man game. Yeah. It's, oh, I'm getting spider powers. Oh, my uncle dies. Boo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what Marvel did well with this this current Spider-Man. They skipped that. You, you needed to. You needed to go, okay, everyone knows the story at this point. Mm-hmm. Whether they've seen... The movie rebooted three times. <laughs> they've they've read the comics. They've seen you know the cartoons. You know either the memes about it or the actual story of you know losing Uncle Ben, mm-hmm. becoming Spider Man, and slowly evolving into this. So they went, no. How do we tell the story later in life? And it makes perfect sense when it comes to so many things that they decide to do with the Spider-Man because of this second coming of age story. You know, it's basically life after college Mm -hmm. while still trying to save the city. This meant that playing as Peter Parker and his alter ego, Spider-Man, they also faced what they considered their biggest challenge when creating the story, which was which villains do they use for their story? Mm -hmm. They look to villains with more compelling backstories and more humanistic motivations for their nefarious actions. Yeah. So less of your, radioactive or piles of sand. Yeah, I'm a bad guy. Yeah, it's it's more of I need and, and Marvel does this pretty well. I will say Marvel does this pretty well for some of their characters of I'm doing this for a righteous reason for the wrong means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? like I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing this to save like my daughter, but I have to do these nefarious actions to do so. Absolutely. With the freedom to create their own story, Insomniac ran with it, making critical changes to some of the iconic characters in the Spider-Man universe, such as Mary Jane being an investigative reporter, Norman Osborn as the mayor, you know, we know him as uh, Green Goblin, mm-hmm. and Peter Parker graduating from college. Of course, the game needed to feature some of Spider-Man's greatest foes as well, but they decided to bring in a newer enemy, Mr. Negative, who'd only been around seven or eight years when they started working on the game. And for comic book fans, seven or eight years is like baby years when it comes Mm -hmm. to villains or people you introduce into a comic series. Yeah. And he was more of an offhanded villain. It wasn't someone who was obviously mainstream because we don't really see Mr. Negative that often in the medium, Mm -hmm. the mediums. And so it's nice to get that fresh look at it, and you're starting to see a lot more in, in mm-hmm. the superhero universes is taking some of those offhanded characters and bringing them to the big screen or, you know, your screen yeah. and really, really adapting it well and making it an interesting story that I don't think comics can fully tell by themselves. Absolutely. With a lesser-known main villain, fans would not be so quick to predict where the story was going. So, spoiler, he's not the main main one, Mm -hmm. but when they started showing a lot of those trailers and E3 demos, he was that main villain at the time. And so, again, I did not know who Mr. Negative was before playing this game, so it made sense where I was like, I have no idea what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah, you you don't know. And and it's, it's, again, when it comes to movie universes, you want that. You want that non-predictability mm-hmm. you want to kind of red herring it a little bit to make players interested and not feel like green goblin fight all right i'll see you later yeah, you know <laughs> you don't you don't want that over and over again so how can we adapt that how do we make it uh, better for the player and a story that can really stick with it with someone you don't know absolutely one thing that really stood out and that they made sure they took care of mm-hmm. was the city of manhattan Absolutely. Like, let's make this 
look like we need it to look. Let's make New York. How can we really boil that down from the huge scale of the city to a video game? Yes. And creative director Brian Intihar, in an interview with Jeff Keighley, had this to say about it. Quote, it's a sprawling Manhattan. As soon as you load up the game, you can go everywhere. It's open. It's not like we're hiding parts of the city. You can swing around in it as much as you want. The idea is that no obstacles should be in your way. We saw that parkour elements, and even when the water tower is destroyed, you can adapt to those situations. So saying, mm-hmm. as things change around the map, you're able to fully adapt parkour style, web slinging style, mm-hmm. whatever you need to use it. Yes. Though Spider-Man's open world is several times larger than Insomniac's previous title, Sunset Overdrive, the actual size of New York itself uh, could not fully be recreated and fit into the PS4. I feel like we were robbed of a real New York. I want to take an hour and a half to swing across the city. (laughs) Or two hours to get a mile. That's what I need. (laughs) Uh, So, unfortunately, Insomniac had to scale the city down, picking and choosing what to put in the game, including iconic elements of the city itself. They would go from New York City's 6.9 billion square feet to just 336,000 square feet, divided into 800 square tiles in the game. The city itself is, is said to be, you know, a believable New York. Insomniac mm-hmm. added elements like water towers, fire escapes, and diversity of its citizens and cultural representation to get that lifeblood of it, mm-hmm. get that New York lifeblood going through it. They even hired uh, graffiti artists to create spray-painted art for the game. Mm-hmm. So they went around and, you know, put that into the game and had original pieces, which I think is yeah. really amazing. Well, a lot of people pointed out, again, you know, we talk about diversity, is that before it was, like, a lot of just white NPCs, mm-hmm. the occasional uh, non-white NPC. But now they changed it up to where it's an equal amount. It literally looks like you are in New York. Like, you see uh, uh, women in uh, hijabs, and they even put it to where Orthodox Jewish NPCs aren't out on Saturdays. Yeah, because their Sabbath is celebrating on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's great that they've done this. I mean, New York is the melting pot of the melting pot. Yes. And that's where you're going to find so many different peoples and cultures and ideas. And to really represent that is amazing. Yeah, and I love about the, the Orthodox Jewish NPCs is Insomniac had to actually point that out because they were excited about it, but no one was noticing mm. because it is such a... Small but good Just detail. Super subtle detail. Yeah, with so they're it. like, guys, look at this. And then everyone's like, holy crap. Like, that's amazing. That's perfect. I, I think that's so cool to, one, respect, you know, other people's cultures and religious beliefs and, and to make sure that you're, you're following tradition, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. And to really represent that. That's really amazing. Absolutely. And, and going back to uh, our, our baby New York, our little New York <laughs> and the PlayStation, as the player progressed from one tile to another, the new one would load while the previous one unloaded, giving the PlayStation 4 the power to put as much detail as possible into the environment. We see this in a couple other games that, even older games that did this really well, where everything that's behind you unloads Mm -hmm. so that everything in front of you can load and can make it the highest quality, highest frame rates for you. Mm -hmm. And they did that ingeniously in this, doing the grids. Yes. I mean, they stole it from Animal Crossing. <laughs> Some OG GameCube Animal Crossing. But it's it's smart. And and it really shows. Because this, this game, they did beautifully. It mm-hmm. runs beautifully. And I'm glad. Because at Spider-Man's top speed, a tile could be loaded every second. The studio also had to figure out how to fit an interior space that was bigger than its exterior. So, you know, whenever you go to fight in a building, mm-hmm. obviously your, your entire environment's 
much larger in there yeah. than it is showing just the building when Spider-Man's like swinging the, around. Like the, the square footage, essentially. Yeah, the square footage gets to almost, I'd say, real-life square footage, mm-hmm. whereas it's the, the smaller footprint for outside. Yeah. It's just Doctor Who's TARDIS you're constantly fighting <laughs> in. And so they accomplish this uh, through some well-placed camera work and cutscenes. That would deload the exterior map as Spider-Man would enter a building with a larger interior space, so loading mm-hmm. a different map. Yeah, so if you if you replay the game after learning that, you notice how they do kind of these 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 camera cuts to make sure mm-hmm. you don't see anything else going on. Slide of hand kind of stuff. And and it's it's so ingenious. And that's it's such an ingenious thing too. You you still see on, on newer consoles, but you had to do that on mm-hmm. older consoles when you had memory space to really deal with. It's like how do we unload things, move things around, cut stuff. And to see that on modern consoles is really cool when you're, when you're trying to push it to the max. Mm-hmm. Now, when the game was officially announced, fans could not help but wonder, will this be as good as the movie tie-in Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 2? This game had perfected the web-slinging mechanic, and every Spider-Man game has been compared to it since. This stigma is something that Insomniac knew that they needed to beat. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man swinging through Manhattan had to be believable and fun making this the first thing that the studio actually worked on when creating their version of the character. Playing every 3D Spider-Man game that had been released in the past 15 years for inspiration, probably as well as do's and don'ts. Yes, a lot of the do's and don'ts of you know, what works here, what doesn't work here, mm-hmm. and, and it's what you got to do. You got to do that research. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it sucks for some of those games, I will say. You know, it sucks for some of those. But uh, like Jesse said, the don'ts of those and some of the do's. What worked well? Did a menu option work well? Yes. You know, did did the storytelling of the camera work work well? Let's implement that. Yeah. On top of pouring a good amount of time into the physics for the game, they would also work on the field of view, character animation, and camera movements to make it all more believable. Furthermore, every piece of architecture and foliage in the game has an anchor on it that allows Spider-Man to swing from them. All of these being placed in an exact spot to allow for more fluent swinging. They started prototyping the swinging mechanic as far back as 2014, which took years to perfect. At one point, swinging and wall running animations were all being created through motion capture, but the studio felt that it just looked unnatural, so most of these animations were keyed in by hand, and some minor motion capture was implemented into it. We hear that a lot more and more because the era of mocap. You could really see it. Mm-hmm. And so now that we're getting the implementation of using mocap as sort of a reference, hand animating with it, but also using some of it makes sense. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it gets too jarring and odd and you no one's Spider-Man in real life. Yeah. So how do you perfect that to be this crazy web slinger? Yeah. This also meant hand sculpting all of Spider-Man's muscles as they moved. They also considered Spider-Man slamming into walls and just falling over while web-slinging, but it didn't feel heroic, so they had to cut that mechanic out. So it's like no matter where you fall from, you'll land on your feet, or if you just swing into a a wall, you just kind of dangle or like get on it. Yeah. Because they did add that into the Miles Morales game, where if you're not paying attention, you will fall over, which is kind of funny because it's, you know, the inexperienced Spider-Man. It is, and it harkens back to kind of those goofy Spider-Man cartoons Mm -hmm. where it kind of fit in. But then when Miles' Spider-Man came out and that goofiness did make its way in, as you said, that inexperienced Spider-Man trying to make his way and learn it, it makes more sense than this Peter Parker who's you know, aged at this point, been Spider-Man for a long while. Yeah. He doesn't splat. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't splat. He's past that splat time. 
As they were perfecting their Spider-Man, something felt missing. They needed a kind of trademark that came with every Insomniac game like Ratchet and Clank, so they included the Spider-Bot to give the player a sometimes humorous first-person view of the world. They also added features allowing Spider-Man to interact with its citizens, like high-fiving them and giving them finger guns, giving him that charm that becomes familiar with the character over the years. I think there are some instances like you can take an object and when you throw it, they duck. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll find out that a citizen is a criminal because they start attacking you. Oh. <laughs> so it's like little things like that. You're like, oh, crap, now I have to fight this person because I accidentally like swung something at them. Oh, that's interesting. Though many compare the fighting style inspired by the Arkham games, Chief Brand Officer Ryan Schneider would state in an interview with N Games that even though that they've seen all the Arkham games, they focus on other games for inspiration, like Tomb Raider and Uncharted. I wouldn't. I'd say for more the exploration and it's uh, those two. Yeah, like, but there it's it's pretty obvious that those Arkham games were a huge inspiration, especially I mean combat wise. Mm, absolutely, I'm not gonna because they're both. Not button mashers, but that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're busting combos and hit and block, essentially, is your your main source of combat. And you can use the environment in both those games as well, yeah, intuitively. Because, you know, Warner Brothers you know, implemented it in Batman. Then with the Shadow of Mordor, the Lord of the Rings game, mm-hmm. um, they've implemented it right into there. Absolutely. And, and it's done well. It's done extremely well. So, again, I don't think they want to say that another universe has influenced what they're doing. Especially another superhero game of, you know, their biggest competition. Yeah, so, and they wanted to make sure that when it came to the script too, it still felt Spidey. It still felt inspiration, Mm -hmm. but it felt more of their own Spidey because they had their own reign of it. How are they going to write this up? Yeah. And so when the first draft of the story was complete, some at the studio felt that the game might not be funny enough. This would lead to some reshoots for mocap and adding in up to 15 seconds of content in existing cutscenes that would lighten up the mood. So yeah. less of the serious Spidey and mm-hmm. more of still being that kind of goofy Marvel character. He's the one that is la- uh, lackadaisical, funny, lighthearted, and not too serious. Yeah. Some of these scenes were added in only a couple months before the game was supposed to be finished, but Sony was extremely supportive and told them to do whatever they needed to do. They almost never told Insomniac no, that being Sony, as long as the studio told them that their changes would make the game better. So if, if Insomniac came and said, hey, we need to add this in or remove this, you know, it'll make the player's experience better. It'll make the narrative better. Mm-hmm. Sony just kept giving the green light and said, whatever you have to do with it, as long as it works. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we're good with that. Absolutely. The studio even had the budget to record all of Spider-Man's phone calls twice. Once while he was resting... And, again, when he was in motion. The studio even had the budget to record all of Spider-Man's phone calls twice. Spider-Man's voice actor, Yuri Lowenthal, would record once during while he was resting and once again while Spider-Man was in motion. So doing two different voice sessions Mm -hmm. where he's just stationary, talking on the phone, but then, like, swinging, sprinting, all of those things. More of a little hurried, heavy breather. Yeah. I loved learning a lot of these details and going back and then testing them out. So he'll be standing there and he starts uh, swinging the web and you can hear him just like breathing heavily mm-hmm. while trying to talk, which Yuri did a great job as Spider-Man for this. Like he's he's definitely one of the better voice actors out there for the character. Yeah. And I think those little nuances, as you had said, kind of with the Orthodox Jews on Saturday, mm-hmm. same thing with this, just that at rest and moving. Yes. Instead of him like swinging through and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just just chilling. Just casually talking, don't worry about me. Mm-hmm. 
There was one instance, though, where Marvel and Sony did give pushback to Insomniac. At one point concerning the death of Aunt May, Marvel told the studio that Aunt May could not die in the game, even though Insomniac had the scene written out and recorded. But a few months later, Marvel came back to them and told them that they could actually include her death. And they, they basically said, listen, you've, you've already done this game justice in our eyes. And if that's what you need to put in to kind of tie the story together and give heart to it, mm-hmm. so be it. They literally told them you earned it. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, you guys have earned this. And even at one point, you know, they had this all done and they're like, actually, never mind. Don't do that. And then come back and they're like, oh, OK, you can do it now. Yeah. And obviously there was, you know, behind the scenes stuff talk and, mm-hmm. and going back and forth with it. But I think they understood how passionate they were about this, especially the story that they've created that that was pretty integral to how some of the things happen in the game, so it would have to be a rewrite on some points, so I'm, I'm glad that they let them keep it. And on July 30th, 2018, the game's development would be finished and sent off for certifications and manufacturing. Marvel's Spider-Man had the largest team that Insomniac would put together for a game, and it was their largest effort. 400,000 words were written for the game, and the final boss in the game featured over 1 million polygons. And it's a beautiful final boss fight. Like, it's awesome. So it shows, and it's believable. That's it's done well. You know, we bring that, that up, and it may not seem much to you, but when you're putting together these 3D rendered images, I mean, it, it takes a lot mm-hmm. to put this together and just to make so much of it so smooth and crisp and clean, and you can really see what effort was put into it. Absolutely. But as much as it seemed like this game had some pretty awesome development, we do have to touch on some controversy. Maybe, you know, some of the biggest controversy ever in gaming. I, I would love to go back to 2016, simpler times, <laughs> when the worst that could happen was Puddlegate. Ah, Puddlegate. At E3 2016, Insomniac would first show the world Marvel Spider-Man with an almost nine-minute demo featuring amazing gameplay, incredible environments, and most importantly, puddles. These puddles would change, though, in the final release of the game. They were smaller, and they weren't showing real-time reflections like they did in the demo. Users on Reddit were quick to point this out and claim that the game itself was downgraded upon release. Community director James Stevenson would tell fans that he personally talked to the engineering and art staff and asked them to look at the live code. Nothing in the puddles were changed since that E3 2016 demo. Eventually, Insomniac would have some fun with this, and in a patch, release a new cartoony stickers that could be added into the camera mode. The UI and UX lead, Gil Dorham, would post a screenshot from the infamous scene featuring the quote-unquote downgraded puddles, adding the puddle stickers to them. Now this is it. This is where the debate gets heated. Are you a puddle gator or an anti-puddle gator? I don't know, Do you man. believe it happened? I don't know. It's... You know, there's a lot of evidence backing both sides. There is. And I can't just rule it out. I mean, after all, they could just vindictively downgraded those puddles beyond anything else in the game just to steal money from us. My guess with this, I know that they're talking about, because both sides are saying something. One is like, no, we changed nothing. The other is, yes, you did. Between the two, it is obvious that there was changes and improvements, but mm-hmm. that's just how a game is built. Whenever you're working with these things and, you know, depending on if you're saying it's a live demo, whether you're running on a PC that has a high-end graphics card or running mm-hmm. through a PS4, could go either way. But, hey, you know the jury's still out. Jury's still out. But, again, it's it's a tinfoil hat discussion for another day. 
So they did finally wrap up development for this game. Regardless of Puddlegate, it's finished. Now they need to market this game. Mm-hmm. You know, as we talked about, marketing's a little sticky in this uh, Spider-Man climate. Now, Insomniac Spider-Man needed to stand on its own. Since it was released the same year as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man Homecoming released the previous year. The game first debuted at E3 2016. Going back to Puddlegate. You're bringing it up again. <laughs> I got Puddlegate on the brain. But Sony, Marvel, and Insomniac would not give any indication on when the game would release. After the event, Insomniac would go dark regarding any news about the game for almost a year. I do remember that. I remember that, like people just blowing up about it and being like, whoa, this actually looks like a good game. Let's talk. And they're like, Mm-mm-mm. There's like, <laughs> no, and hit under the table. And, it's, and it, I think that's what you need to do. Yeah. If, especially if you're still going into the final polishing and making sure things, making sure you don't pull any, like, you know, faux pas and, and kind of ruin yeah. the experience of it. Well, especially you need to get the hype going, but you don't want to put anything out there just yet. Mm-hmm. In April 2017, during a live stream, Marvel's digital media vice president and executive editor, Ryan Panegos, would state that Marvel Spider-Man and Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite were slated to release later in 2017. Many would assume that this was without a doubt what would happen, considering Spider-Man Homecoming was releasing in July that same year. Insomniac would later have to state that the game was not coming out anytime soon. So there was so much hype around this, and people were foaming at the mouth you know, when mm-hmm. this was coming out. Yeah, and, and again, you grasp at anything you can. You hear, oh, it's coming out in 2017. Yeah. And like, all right, sounds good. And Insomniac has to go, whoa, whoa. We didn't say that. He, he probably honestly just heard Marvel Spider-Man. He's like, yeah, the Homecoming movie? Yeah, that's totally coming out. Oh, yeah. Mar- uh, Spider-Man stuff? Yeah, sure, this year, sure. <laughs> Whatever, Spider- Spider-Man, he's, he's the one in the suit? Yeah, yeah, it's coming out this year. <laughs> uh, continuing on with marketing, we have an NFL commercial. Mm-hmm. Sony would air their first major commercial for the game during the 2018 NFL season kickoff on NBC's Thursday Night Football. This was the first time in years that Sony had bought a media spot for a game, and it would be one of the most expensive spots they'd ever paid for. I mean, you can see, though, how much they're backing this. Well, again, going back to Insomniac and them just having free reign, and Sony saying, yeah, whatever you need, we've got you. Just run it by us real quick, and you're good. So so they knew that this was a cash moneymaker. Mm-hmm. They needed to push it out there because they, they were pushing, uh, for those of you who don't know, Sony owns Spider-Man or owns the rights yes. to Spider-Man. So they were trying to push all this Spider-Man stuff at the same time to just start ramping it up. Again, they are partnering with Disney for some stuff. So they wanted to ramp up and, and get into that niche of it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they're just trying to go everything they have into basically these three different Spider-Man universes. Yeah. We also had a prequel novel. Titan Books would sign a two-book publishing deal with novels that tie into the game itself. The first being Spider-Man Hostile Takeover, a prequel leading into the event of the game, which was released August 21st, 2018. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Spider-Geddon Issue Zero. Insomniac Spider-Man would make his comic book debut in Marvel Spider-Geddon, released September 26, 2018, officially becoming part of the canon universe. There would be five different cover art variants created by Insomniac artists. There were also several other comic series that would spawn from the game, such as Spider-Man City at War and the miniseries Spider-Man Velocity. So Marvel is now saying, okay, you are actually, you're not just this weird one-off game. You are part of the Spider-Verse. It's a, yeah, it's officially canon. It's officially mm-hmm. in there. And then finally, I love this. We have the Times Square shuttle. So in New York, 
fans would start to spot a red shuttle featuring Spider-Man decals on the side. It had multiple Daily Bugle newspaper props along with J. Jonah Jameson propaganda. I love it. So I love that kind of marketing where it invades real life. Like mm-hmm. this isn't something that they're they're paying for an ad when you're scrolling through your news feed. This is something you get on a uh, shuttle and that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's like a full cosplay experience almost. Uh, like it, you get to go on there and, and just feel part of that universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as I said, they, they, they marketed the game. It's out now. You're putting it into your PS4. You have that controller. Now you're going to experience the campaign. What do you expect from this game? So we're going to break it down for you and give you an idea on who are these villains, who does it center around, and what happens with our Spidey friend. Yeah, and I do want to give a quick summary about what's different about this campaign mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about. And, you know, they said that everything's different. So Spider-Man's 23. He just graduated from college. He's not making much as a research assistant. So, you know, that's where it's different. He's not working for the Daily Bugle, mm-hmm. which that's actually what Mary Jane is doing. She's an investigative reporter. And additionally, we have Miles Morales in this universe, which is, you know, a lot different than what we know. So having him and Peter exist as in the same time, you know, we see in the spinoff two different Spider-Men, mm-hmm. essentially. And then finally, Norman Osborn is the mayor of the town. So it's this whole new kind of landscape that they set for this campaign we're going to dive into. The campaign starts with Wilson Fisk, also known as Kingpin, who had been running organized crime in Manhattan for years. And it is time for Spider-Man to stop him once and for all. Spider-Man takes out the crime boss and turns him into the police. And it seems that the city's at peace. Uh, the mm-hmm. game is over. Thank you, Insomniac, <laughs> uh, for your hour campaign. Yeah. And that that's that. And then it, the credits go and, uh, you can and, do nothing about and it. And you're done. It's beautiful. But no, <laughs> it does not take long for a new crime organization to take Kingpin's place, the Inner Demons, which is led by none other than Mr. Negative. Ooh. And it turns out that this group is looking for something called the Devil's Breath. Mm-hmm. And during a re-election event for Mayor Norman Osborne, honoring the police officer Jefferson Davis, who is Miles Morales's dad, the demons attack, killing Davis while Miles finds him dead after this attack. So immediately this game turns dark. Yes. And that's why we knew that comic relief earlier, because (laughs) instead of those, it'd just be sad. At this time, during the attack, Peter sees Martin Lee, who runs the homeless shelter where Aunt May works, transform into Mr. Negative. Yep. And from this, Mayor Osborne hires Silver Sablinova, or Silver Sable, and Sable International to replace the police. So kind of creating the security force. Martial law, Yeah, martial law, locking down the city, mm-hmm. saying we're, we're fighting this off. You know, I have complete control over this rule. Mm-hmm. In the campaign, Peter works for Otto Octavius as a research assistant. As Peter continues his work with Octavius and their research on prosthetic limbs, Osborne starts to cut their funding in order to get Octavius to work for him. Now, Octavius suffers from a neuromuscular disease and eventually will lose control of his limbs, hence why this research is so important. He creates his own mechanical limbs controlled through a neural link, but it is slowly driving him mad. Mm -hmm. So we see that in this game, Octavius is a good guy. We know him as Doc Ock, the bad guy. So that's instantly you're just like, is he going to be bad? Is he going to be good? I don't know, because he is like almost like this father figure to Peter. Peter yes. respects him so much, looks up to him, wants nothing but to just help him, and they want to change the world, mm-hmm. essentially. Later on, it's discovered that Dragon's Breath is actually a bioweapon, and Mr. Negative inevitably gets his hands on it. 
Spider-Man is able to defeat him, and Mr. Negative is sent to the Rift, a mega prison outside of the city. He is not held in captivity for long, though, as Lee, along with Vulture, Electro, Scorpion, and Rhino escape. As Peter tries to stop them, he learns that they are all working under Octavius, who warns Spider-Man himself to stay out of their way. He, he simply says, first and final warning, stay out of our way, throws him off mm-hmm. uh, uh, the top of this building, which is awesome scene because now we're Spider-Man is now seeing that this person he really looks up to is a monster criminal, essentially. And no, this is the portion where they're talking about how do we humanize this mm-hmm. with Mr. Negative and with Octavius. Octavius is not not bad guy, just bad yeah, because you know he's been screwed over by uh, Norman, and he's trying to essentially be able to fund his research. And we find out that again, he's working with all these other criminals like Rhino and Vulture because he's basically saying, "I, you know, if you do this work for me, I can help you." Like Rhino, I can get you out of this suit mm-hmm. that you can't escape. Like he all has, they all have their own motivations. It's not just greed. It's you know they're trying to help themselves essentially. Yeah, and and we see that as well. Like we talked about the prosthetic limbs and the whole kind of suit build that he has. Mm-hmm. That's also making him go crazy. Yeah. So it's also tapping into that that neural link that's screwing up his motives. I guess you would say. Yeah. Or, or it's his just making him thought. evil. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Dragon's breath is released in the city and infects numerous citizens, including Aunt May. Osborne declares martial law, branding Spider-Man as the blame for all of this. As the game progresses, Spider-Man is able to defeat Vulture, Rhino, Electro, and Scorpion. All that's left is Octavius and Lee. Mary Jane learns during all of this that Lee was actually a test subject for a cure that plagues Norman Osborne's son, Harry Osborne. Mm-hmm. Lee now has the antidote, and though Spider-Man is able to defeat him and get it from him, Octavius attacks Spider-Man and takes it from him. Octavius also kidnaps Osborne. Spider-Man then goes back to their lab, the Octavius lab, mm-hmm. and he creates a new set of armor using the same technology as Octavius's new limbs. And they face off once and for all, which is we're talking about that final boss battle that has a million polygons. Million polys. It's so good. It's such a detailed battle. It's so fun to do. And the conversations that Octavius and, and Spider-Man are having during this whole battle, it just kind of puts more weight onto the battle. It really does. And it shows the knowledge that this Peter Parker, who is a scientific research, has and the effort and preciseness that goes into his new suits and mm-hmm. the suits that you find along the way and, and why he uses them and the perks you get from certain suits mm-hmm. uh, is, is is a main reason I'm really loving this and I'm glad that they were able to implement that idea of he, he's very knowledgeable about it into the game. Mm-hmm. The two battle it out, and during the battle, Octavius reveals that he knew all along that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. Because around the beginning of the game, Octavius catches Peter Parker working on a Spider-Man suit. Mm -hmm. And so Octavius goes, oh, I get it now. You make the suits for Spider-Man. That was him kind of playing dumb, and he knew all along that he was actually Spider-Man. Eventually, though, Spider-Man does defeat Octavius, and he reveals that he was everything that Peter wanted 
to be essentially because it's this emotional thing where even though Peter's the only one who stuck up for him, Peter won't let him go. And and finally, Octavius says, you betrayed me like everyone. You don't care about me. And this is like such a weird emotional scene where Spider-Man breaks down because he's like, I'm the only one who cared about you. Like, it's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. It's sad. I might have cried. Might have. Did. Spider-Man or Peter Parker then visits Aunt May in the hospital and he has the option to either use the cure on her or create more and save the city. He chooses to save the city and as Aunt May is dying, she reveals that she knew that Peter was Spider-Man all along and that she was super proud of him. Everyone knows at this point that Peter is Spider-Man because within like 30 minutes of the game. And everyone knows that Jesse has not stopped crying since the rousing speech with Octavius and, and Peter. And now, Aunt May passing. I might have cried at this scene, too, as well. I cry a lot during video games. That's why I like them. But after a couple of months, the city seems to be going back to normal. So, you know, it is kind of a happy ending in a way. You know? it, it's happy in, in – I'm trying to describe another movie that has that same feel where a major sacrifice has happened, but there's a lull now. Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of this passive lull where those affected still feel it, but the rest of society goes on. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, that is that is that is the best iteration. I mean, if I were to say, you know, it'd probably be Dead Rising, but that's just me. Uh, the 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 harkening of everything. But yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's neat, and it really shows the heavy toll that some people pay for the masses. Mm-hmm. That you can't trade one life for a thousand or a million at this point. You mm-hmm. know. Now there are two post credit scenes. The first is Miles showing Peter his Spider-Man-like abilities, which he received from a bite from a spider that Mary Jane accidentally brought from Oscorp, with Peter revealing that he is Spider-Man as well. So they're like, how do we set up that spinoff title? Mm -hmm. This is how. Now, the second scene shows Norman Osborn visiting his son, Harry, who is in a tank filled with a green liquid, and attached to him seems to be the symbiote-like substance that makes up Venom. So again, they're taking those liberties that it's it's Eddie Brock who's usually Venom, but mm-hmm. now it's Harry Osborn yes. who might be Venom. Who we who we know from either the original movies or later on was always just a regular guy that was Peter's friend. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and um, now we're now we're seeing a whole different uh, universe of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but really, let's dive into kind of playing the campaign and the mechanics and everything like playing the game. I would say, yeah, playing the game. Every feature of the game is everything you would want from a Spider-Man game, from the traversal to the combat down to the abilities. You freely swing across Manhattan with ease, with each web feeling as though it is truly attached to something within the world. Harkening back to our discussion of what it took for them to place each of those trees and lampposts mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. buildings precisely to get that fluid movement. Yeah. Combat shows off the agility of the web-slinging superhero with a range of melee attacks that can be combined with your webs to bind enemies or sling them into one another. You can also use a variety of gadgets in combat, including a web bomb that yanks the enemies into one another, knocking them both out. In short, you can truly do whatever a spider can. I'm telling you, this is it. The combat system and the combos, the combos especially, are juicy in Mm -hmm. this game. I've watched a couple of those videos of just how people can do these combo chains together and it is insane. They get like over a hundred. They could take out like all the enemies in one combo chain, essentially, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do in this. No, game. and they stay in the air for most of it because they're doing these like crazy spins mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. slams, and it's beautiful. Yeah, 
Spider-Man, as we had said earlier, has a whole wardrobe available of spider suits that can be collected as the game progresses using resources or completing specific objectives. These suits come with some of their own unique abilities. For example, the punk rocker Spider-Man comes with an ability that releases a wave of sound from a guitar when used that sends all enemies in the area flying. Amazing. Combat can also be upgraded through several skill trees with a total of 34 skills that can be purchased and improved, all of which will be available by level 50. Now, Spider-Man has a laundry list of enemies in the game, from regular street thugs to members of the Inner Demons. You also encounter a number of just, you know, as we had said, his ma- his main baddies. His main baddies that form the boss fights through the game. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's set up almost a tier tree of, hey, here's the bosses you're definitely going to fight because yeah. Octavius released them. Yeah, it's 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 their take on the Sinister Six, yes. which is a, a group formed, I believe, originally to just take out Spider-Man. But mm-hmm. it's still awesome nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, each one of these counters offer a variety of different ways to approach the battle, which then you experiment with your abilities to take out these said uh, supervillains. Yes, so very similar to other superhero games, they do want you to use certain ones that you learn, like mm-hmm. that you're kind of learning mm-hmm. through it. But as you get further in the game, it's more of how do you use those combos? How do you find their weak spots? Or, or you know, how do you go through their, their motions and animations in the mm-hmm. best way possible using your knowledge? Mm-hmm. There are also side missions throughout the game, such as a combat mini game that have enemies coming to the player in waves or doing research objectives for Peter's friend, Harry Osborne. I know like that. That mini game one comes out in the DLCs later on. There are also collectibles throughout the game, like finding backpacks that Spider-Man had left to a wall yeah. while he was uh, fighting crime, or he had to switch from Peter to Spider-Man. So in each one of those, you find like a like let's say like a kid drew Spider-Man for mm. him. So they all like these little collectibles in there. That's cool. Now all of these will give you tokens that the player can use to purchase new suits and upgrade their gadgets. It is a game that actually exploring is fun, and it's not too difficult to find some of these collectibles do these research stations Mm -hmm. take photos of like the avengers tower or dr strange's uh hideout yes i can't remember what to call it but yeah and it's cool hideout it's a a tree fort the sanctum that's it the sanctum that's it it's a tree fort (laughs) that's his real hideout and yeah going to the photo mode uh, is an interesting implementation because you can capture the moments and that's a nuance that's been added to a lot of next gen games is doing that and a lot of players absolutely love that moment of being able to capture your in-game character whether it's mm-hmm. a cool sunset and like red dead redemption or something cool here where you can even do selfie mode mm-hmm. and go around citizens taking some snaps yeah. so it's it's a neat implementation and it definitely drives more to the game that's outside of combat more yeah. collections and ideas with it so wrapping up you know what we're doing in the game how it is the campaign, even talk about Miles Morales, let's talk about the DLCs that have come out. Mm-hmm. Sony would release three DLCs for the game that could either be purchased separately for $9.99 each or all three for $24.99 under the City That Never Sleeps season pass. These three DLCs were a continuation of the main story. The overall story revolves around the rise of the mob boss Hammerhead and his fight to take over the Magia Mob family. Additionally, each DLC comes with its own new set of side missions and collectibles. The first being the heist. This DLC would introduce Black Cat and Hammerhead into Marvel's Spider-Man. Black Cat, or Felicia Hardy, is on the hunt for a group of hard drives, all of which contain the Magia Mob family's fortune. Felicia reveals that Hammerhead is holding her son hostage, 
and must find these hard drives to get him back. Spider-Man helps her collect the final hard drive, but learns that Felicia lied about having a son, but seemingly dies in an explosion. Yeah, she kind of screwed him over there. Mm-hmm. And it was released October 23rd, 2018. And again, it seems that she dies, so I like that it kind of tapers off that she probably did, mm-hmm. but maybe. An explosion happened, but there was no body. Mm-hmm. Keep looking for the body. There's a body somewhere. Mm-hmm. The next one we have is Turf Wars. Now, the Magia families are now all at war. Police Chief Yuri Watanabe raids Hammerhead's hideout, but it is a trap. And all of her men die except for her. Now she's hellbent on revenge. And after this, Hammerhead gains control of Sable International technology and uses it to attack the Magia families. Eventually, an armored Hammerhead is defeated and presumed dead, but he is revived in an ambulance shortly Again, afterwards. Again, presumed dead, <laughs> but back. It was released November 20th, 2018. And finally, we had Silver Lining. In this final chapter of The City That Never Sleeps, Spider-Man must team up with Sable's Silver Sable, in order to take out the newly transformed and almost completely robotic Hammerhead. It is also revealed that Felicia faked her death. (laughs) As an apology, she gives Spider-Man a USB drive containing Hammerhead's weaknesses. Sable and Spider-Man then take down Hammerhead once and for all, and Sable returns to her country, Simcaria, amidst a civil war. And that was released December 21st, 2018. Mm -hmm. I'd say those take about two hours or so to finish. I think they're worth the money. Um, if you just want that extra content, and even more if you're doing all the collectibles and the side missions and everything. That's an interesting story. I like it. Yeah. But now let's move on to cut material. And we'll start off with Scorpion, Vulture, Electro, and Rhino. We're all going to have their boss fights be individual before being combined into just two separate boss fights. Mm-hmm. So it's it's Scorpion and Rhino are one boss fight, and Vulture and Electro are others. Mm-hmm. You know, two that can take to the sky, and two are more grounded. And then moving on from that, at one point, Insomniac was considering having Octavius or Doc Ock just be a good guy. They they weren't going to have him be the main bad guy. I I think it just helps with that emotional weight. Yeah. And then next we have Aunt May was actually going to live, you know, as we had talked about. But they're like, nah, kill her. Kill her. That was was the exact thing in the meeting. (laughs) Uh, Spider-Man was also supposed to have the Iron Spidey arms without the Iron Spidey suit. So just Mm -hmm. have those Octavius arms, but his suit. But it just makes sense that as he's kind of this tech whiz and working in this industry, that he had the full suit with it and the full Spidey suit, less of what we see in what kind of Tony Stark gave Mm -hmm. that Spider-Man. This was a full-built suit that went along with it. Yeah, and I know that's what Intihar really wanted. Mm -hmm. And then they they were still experimenting, and there was a lot of, like, let's just give him the arms anyways. And... They eventually cut that out, but as you said, you can still get them with that Iron Spidey suit. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have Green Goblin. Now, it's not known why he was cut, but he was considered for the game. There are some Easter eggs in the game that lead to the iconic villain potentially appearing in a sequel. Because Mary Jane's digging around Norman Osborn's office, and mm-hmm. she's finding, like, you know, all this stuff that kind of seems like a suit that he would a wear. A full giant Green Goblin suit just in the middle of the, the foyer. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. That happens. Yeah, with giant teeth and everything and big yellow eyes. And she's like, this might be something. Hmm. Green Goblin. Wonder what that could be. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't because it would just be the Spider-Man reboots again and again and again yeah. and again. Because he's been, for the most part, the first or second villain at the start of all these reboots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if they introduce him 
It needs to be later, and they need to do something different with it. And it needs to be Willem Dafoe, and he needs to come back. That would be awesome. And just do mocap, or just splice him in from the first movie. Well, did you see someone uh, modded this game to where it was Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, and he oh, brought really? all the characters? So Willem Dafoe was Norman Osborn. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. So we're just waiting for that at this point. Yep, we're just waiting for the supercut. <laughs> now, speaking of supercuts. Oh. Because we all love them. Great clips, super cuts. <laughs> you love them both. You get some cheap haircuts there. But let's talk about the music of the game. The Marvel Spider-Man soundtrack was composed by John Paisano, who is best known for film work on the Maze Runner series, Daredevil, and The Defenders, the last two which are Netflix series. Rest in peace, I will say. <laughs> Early in his career, Paisano would work closely with Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams on film work, learning much of what the industry standards were. Paisano also had his hands in creating parts of the soundtracks in Mass Effect Andromeda and Detroit Become Human. He would be brought into the Marvel's Spider-Man project very early in development, working for nearly two years on the music to make sure it could do the game and franchise justice. Paisano spent the first year working alone, creating the specific character themes for the different places in the game that they would appear. Once those were finished, those themes were implemented into various tracks to create frameworks of suites. Those suites were then cut up into different pieces and placed accordingly into the game's complex music systems. During an interview with Medium.com, music editor Rob Goodson said this of how the music implementation works. Quote, This music system in Spider-Man utilizes a combination of technologies. In a nutshell, the system is tracking a number of variables that determine music intensity, including player altitude, player speed, and the length of time spent swinging. Each piece of the music that you hear in an open world has three levels of intensity that transition between one another, depending on how high you're swinging, how fast you're going, etc. When your speed drops to zero, we trigger the end stinger that brings the music to a natural sounding conclusion. I mean, to wrap that quote up, basically saying we trigger these sound cues, music events, Mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing in the game. Yeah, and I'd say when you're swinging uh, throughout the city, usually the main theme comes in, mm-hmm. and it's perfect because it, it you do. I know we're gonna say this; it's it, it's a cheesy thing, but you feel like Spider-Man. It's you, awesome. You do, and it adapts to it. Adapts to fight scenes and intensities of it. How they wrap up, how you land. Mm-hmm. It, it all it all hits in there, and the cuts make sense because it's again a supercut. Haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there. So you can clip it and cut it together to make it very fluid, mm-hmm. but match what you're doing in the game. Yeah. Now, from the beginning of working on the project, Paisano wanted to elaborate on how this Spider-Man story was different from other origin stories. Instead, this one focused on a more grown-up Spider-Man, one who was more mature and had a larger spectrum of emotions. This alone resulted in the main theme for the game taking more than two months to write in order to perfect the opening persona of both the game and the main character. Mm -hmm. Another of Paisano's focuses for the music was that of telling the musical story from the perspective of Peter Parker, more so on than Spider-Man's, with Peter Parker's theme slowly evolving into that of Spider-Man's. This was additionally implemented into the game by putting some of Peter Parker's themes into the villain's music, a technique that was basically coined by John Williams, in order to remind the player of how this music connected to the larger scale of the story. Mm -hmm. As for the sound palette, Paisano's hands were partially tied. 
needing to have some of the larger sounding tracks in order to be similar to other projects in the Marvel franchise. So that big kind of orchestral mm-hmm. beats and sounds. Some of these projects were scored by other big name composers in the film industry, like James Horner, uh, Alvin Silvestri, and, and Michael Giacchino, with much of their music in Marvel being compared to that of Richard Wagner. Paisano was praised for his choice of instrumentation and hesitancy to overwhelm players in sound. Heavy emphasis is placed on the symphonic orchestra, consisting largely of the string and brass sections. The percussion was used modestly, a step away from the large and dramatic music in other parts of Marvel, as I had said, mm-hmm. as you hear in any of the Avengers stuff. It's just big and orchestral, and it encompasses Ep- everyone. Epic, you know? Yeah, it's, it's all those epic sounds that bring it all together. Mm-hmm. Several tracks additionally contain dubstep-esque electronic music for the game's antagonist. So getting that, like, almost, like, riffy sounds that mm-hmm. bring it in and bring that, like, just grittiness to it, the undergroundness yeah, yeah. of it. Overall, the music was distinctive, memorable, modest, and mature. It would become a fan favorite, with it being one of creative director Brian Intihar's favorite parts of the game as well. Oh, it's great. It totally reflects Spider-Man and, and you know, his kind of cinematic uh, history, mm-hmm. essentially. And uh, going on the record, I do not own this record. <sighs> so I'm O for a lot of the re- episodes recorded. <laughs> but let's really quickly touch on the release versions of this game. So we have the standard version released on the PS4, the collector's edition that comes with a Spider-Man statue. But Insomniac actually doesn't recommend opening the statue until players have played the game because it contains, like, you know, Scorpion's tail. Like mm. a, a, it, sh- it shows off all the characters you're saying. Yeah, but it also shows Octavius's his, his uh, prosthetic limbs. So that would yes. be a spoiler if you did that. So imagine getting this, and they're like, don't open it yet. Just, just play the game, but don't look at the sweet statue because they showed – only the top half and the base is oh, where all those enemy it. stuff is. That's cool. So that's when they, uh, yeah, it's just like don't actually open it till you're finished. But then we had Game of the Year edition that would come with the full game along with the City That Never Sleeps season pass, and this was only $40. And finally we had Miles Morales Ultimate Edition, and this would come with the Game of the Year edition of the game mm-hmm. that was also enhanced for the PS5. And they changed uh, Peter Parker's face because they had said his face from PS4 didn't work well with PS5, essentially. Their excuse, but yeah. (laughs) The game would also come with its own amazing red Spider-Man-themed 1-terabyte PS4 Pro and an amazing red controller. I love the name. Like it comes with the amazing red controller because that's the the color, quote-unquote, is amazing red. You're not wrong. (laughs) But we wrap this up. Let's. How did everyone think of this game? What What was our reactions? What did it get rated? What happened with it? Mm-hmm. Marvel's Spider Man was selling left and right upon initial release. The game actually made more money than Spider Man Homecoming. One million copies of the game were pre ordered, and in only three days, the game would sell 3.3 million units, making it the fastest selling Marvel game of all time and the fastest selling PlayStation exclusive title of all time. Until we had the release of The Last of Us 2. Mm-hmm. It would also be the fastest selling video game in the UK during 2018, beating out Far Cry 5. Again, you'd see record sales in Japan, becoming the best selling Spider Man title in the country, selling 125,000 units, pushing the sale of 11,661 PS4 units, and one game of the year from Japanese developers. Mm-hmm. Overall, it became the best selling superhero video game of all time and has gone on to sell. 
13.2 million copies worldwide. That is insane. Now, some fans and critics would still feel plagued by the nuance of quick time events and how scripted the boss battles felt. Others felt that the story at some points was too predictable and overall did not like how the game played out. However, it seems that the majority see this game as an absolute innovation to Spider-Man and they were ready for more. The game would receive an 87 out of 100 on Metacritic. Games Radar Plus would name it its 75th greatest video game of the decade and it went on to win dozens of Game of the Year awards with over 120 nominations total. Again, this was basically everyone for the most part was in love with this game. After the game's quick success, Marvel Games executive director Bill Roseman would state on Twitter that the game, quote, kicks off a new era of Marvel console games, Mm -hmm. making it the Iron Man of video games. Insomniac Games CEO Ted Price's daughter even played the game and loved it, but only after Fortnite got her into gaming in the first place. Insomniac's Spider-Man suit would even make an appearance in Spider-Man Into the Mm Spider-Verse, and it inspired a fan to start volunteering at his aunt's homeless shelter, which is awesome. Like, that's incredible. And the game, unfortunately, we're going to take it down a notch, has a sad... I guess you would say Easter egg, a disheartening <laughs> Easter egg. Yes. <laughs> in, May, sad. in May of 2018, Tyler Schultz tweeted Insomniac, asking them to help him propose to his girlfriend of five years with, quote, Maddie, will you marry me? Being somewhere in the game. Insomniac actually did it. But by the time the game was released, Schultz, sadly a single man. Mm-hmm. Schultz would post a video stating that he was actually happy that the proposal made its way into the game and simply wanted to see it be used by someone else as a marriage proposal to their significant other. Sorry, Schultz. Hey, listen, you got something in the game, though. <laughs> that is pretty cool that they did that. That is a pretty cool legacy. Just frame on the wall and be like, bad times, but good times. <laughs> Insomniac had worked with Sony for 20 years, producing 20 games and six franchises all over four consoles. In August of 2019, Sony would acquire Insomniac Games for $229 million, most of which was paid in cash. The deal was completed only three months later after the announcement. After Sony purchased Insomniac, news would break that Disney could no longer produce films using Spider-Man. Marvel and Sony fans were so upset with this that the hashtag BoycottSony would start trending, with fans threatening to not play the next PS4 Spider-Man game. Luckily, Disney and Sony came to a deal, and any further issues would be laid to rest. After Sony's inquisition of Insomniac, they would state that no one is going to tell them what game they need to make. They have complete freedom to produce some stuff. Yeah, so it was mainly just like, we kind of just want to dip into your profits, but you guys are obviously doing a lot right, so keep going. Yeah, we want your profits, but we're also going to bankroll everything, is pretty Uh much what it comes Mm -hmm. to. Yeah, absolutely. As long as we know this game will make money, we're just going to throw marketing budget at Mm -hmm. it. Now, Spider-Man is an iconic, lovable, and absolutely relatable character. And no matter what medium he turns up in, chances are fans are going to flock to him. More often than not, it is usually the video games that he is in that are a swing or a miss, and some are less than forgettable titles being released over the years. Marvel's Spider-Man went up against the grain in some traditional senses of his story and ramped up the gameplay in Swinging to Eleven. It merged Peter Parker and Spider-Man's worlds and made the story that much more dire. Insomniac proved, as always, that it can create a single-player experience that resonates with fans, 
and has them anxiously awaiting for what is next. They created a game that at times is extremely relatable, and at other times made you feel like Spider-Man. There's no question about it. Marvel Spider-Man will go down with great games such as Spider-Man for the PlayStation and Nintendo 64 and Spider-Man 2. It might even find itself on top of both. Beyond anything, Insomniac showed us that Spider-Man is a timeless and unforgettable hero. But yes, that was going through the development, the campaign, the music, the marketing, everything about Marvel Spider-Man. So as always, we're going to talk about why did we choose this game to cover on finish the fight you know why do we think that it was pertinent to dive into its backstory so as always alex please start us off i'm gonna be honest to start this this was not one of my top games at the time this took a little convincing from jesse over here Mm -hmm. uh you know because i am not a spider-man fan i have converted i in a in a a pinch a little bit (laughs) like like a couple grains of it with you know into the spider-verse and then, you know, you were the one with the PlayStation at the time. I was like, dude, you got to check out Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And my response was, quote, I'm good. <laughs> I thought it was just no. It was something along those lines to just shoot me down. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, with some convincing and showing me some clips, I eventually came around, was watching some gameplay he was doing, mm-hmm. and, and dove in myself and bringing back that topic of, you know, the Arkham games, the Batman games, mm-hmm. it does do it. it. It brings you in, it sucks you into that combat, and it makes you feel strong in a way, like just, just working as a superhero, mm-hmm. but it feels so relatable and just such a clean, fun gameplay. Yeah. And I think the story is very interesting. I'm glad that they took their own take. It wasn't just another, another, another retelling yeah. of him getting bit by a spider and starting over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's honestly... You know, Jesse brought this episode to you guys, and I appreciate it. I thought it was it was really well done. I'm glad we were able to explore it. And and I didn't really think much of Insomniac. I haven't really followed them. I wasn't really a PlayStation guy. Mm-hmm. But diving into it, seeing the legacy they've left, oh, and, yeah. and bringing that to Spider-Man and everything that they've coming through with it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so glad we were able to cover this and give you guys a story that wasn't a traditional development story. And it was kind of just a keep rolling with the punches doing it yeah they were handed the keys to the car and just like drive it and let us know where you end up essentially and it's very rare that a studio has hands off from the ip owner and the development company Mm -hmm. the publisher i should say and are just allowed to just as long as they get the check mark of like hey i'm doing this sounds good that's it Mm -hmm. yeah no no pushback implementation no marvel hands it's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean this game as well as i've I played some of the Spider-Man games over the years. You know, I played the the one on uh, PlayStation mm-hmm. and a Nintendo 64 as long as Spider-Man 2. And I played one or two afterwards, and I just saw that they had fallen off. Like, it's obvious they're just kind of trying to churn them out as quickly as possible because Spider-Man is attached to it. And they became kind of beat-em-ups for some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just wasn't wasn't the best. No, but you have this game that I was told was story-driven, which you know me, that's my you know, that's what I want mm-hmm. is a story driven game. But the gameplay is intuitive and you yeah. can adapt to anything that's thrown at you very quickly. There are hundreds of ways to attack someone in this game, if not thousands of ways that you can use combos and tricks in the environment around you. It's awesome. The the gameplay, the traversal, it's super smooth. And furthermore, the replayability with the photo mode, with all the side missions that you can do, helping civilians or stopping a robbery or even going to Harry Osborne's research stations. 
it all allows you to play the game for hundreds of hours if you want to. And I, you know, I was I rushed through it when I did play it initially because I was just like story, story, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've gone back and I've and I've just it's fun to just explore. I know Intahar has even said that he'll just sit like when they were developing it, he would just go through the world. That's all he would do. And you can do that alone for an hour. I think the longest I did for was like 30 minutes. I was bored one night, went through, just explored the world, see what they were doing with, uh, you know, how they created this game. Mm -hmm. And I think overall it's it's an amazing, unique take on Spider-Man. And I think it is going to go down as one of the better superhero games in general. Period. Going back to talking about the just hanging out swinging, it's kind of that mm-hmm. GTA effect. Yes. Of just yes. going around the map, seeing what people are doing, seeing what buildings there are, checking things out. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You do get lost in it. And you can mm-hmm. have that that fun time of, of swinging around. Ooh, stop that crime down there. Oh, something's going on over here. Yes. Or, or just be super casual with it and let people just, you know, go on their their crime ways. And just, <laughs> just swing about the town. Be like, I don't care about this criminal. Listen, I got I got a vibe right now. <laughs> But so 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 what would you to, to to kind of wrap I guess these notes up for you what would you final statement on the game mm-hmm. and what would you rate it Final statement is I'd say it's it's a must play for PlayStation owners mm-hmm. Absolutely if you're a story driven person play it if not the gameplay itself is still amazing I want to give this a 9 out of 10 9 out of 10 very very interesting um, 9 out of 10 Mine's a little harsher Now here's the thing there were not enough Toby Maguire memes in this one. <laughs> um, it's going to lose points for not having pizza mm-hmm. and pizza delivery. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, you do have finger guns. Now it does win points for that, but there, mm-hmm. there, there no, there is no dance. There is no emo Toby Maguire dance. This is true. So it loses points for that. However, it does have Aunt May, and she's cool, and I do like Rhino as a character. So that does win points back. I will give this game. Hold this pause in there because this pause really brings us up. So so keep listening to this pause right now. This pause, just this pause. Sandman, out of not being in the game, is good. Is that your score? Yeah. That is your score? Yeah. Okay, that is Alex's <laughs> final score. Yep. Um, I want someone, any of our listeners, I want you to eventually listen through these and Give us what you think his numerical score is. Like, decipher these and be like, okay, mm-hmm. judging by that, he gave it a 7.5. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but... <laughs> I mean, you can do what you want. But that was our coverage of Marvel's Spider-Man. Research was done by Jesse Reiners, Evan Barr, and Richard Scanlon. Art was done by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson, and music written and composed by Evan Barr. And as always, as I say every single time, those people, great people, you love them. You love to see it, but who cares about them at this moment <laughs> when we've got uh, some even better people here? Actually, some of them, I already mentioned this episode. <laughs> but we're talking about our patrons. Uh, we have a Patreon, and that is one of our major support networks that keeps bringing this show to you. Absolutely. Jess and I even have a bonus show on there where we talk about um, you know, some bottom-of-the-barrel games mm-hmm. and if they're worth playing, or some games from our childhood that are 2 bucks now or 90 bucks. Who even knows? <laughs> but that's just a fun, more commentary show. Uh, it's a little off the wall. It's a great time, plus other plenty of bonus content on the Patreon. You can check it all at patreon.com slash finish the fight. And we're going to thank those patrons right now, starting with Charles Zitter, Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Cowan Fong Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, 
McChief, Big Papa Semechki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Vandevort, Climbing Spork, Mr1898, William Kroll, and Cameron Collier or Collier. You guys are amazing. I appreciate you. And check it out. And if you have any more questions about our Patreon, be sure to find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and shoot us a message on there. Or just join our Discord if you want a more direct way to communicate with us. It's growing every day, and it is an awesome time every time I check in. And don't forget to check us out playing the latest podcast games or some of the latest titles over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. Uh, we're doing some fun stuff over there. Uh, talk about the podcast. We've got some other cool shows that are coming up with it. So check it out there. Mm-hmm. And if you want to give us a start or reviewed rating on your favorite podcast platform, we would appreciate that. And it helps us rank up in the long run. But with that being said, that was our coverage of Marvel's Spider-Man. With that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>